Keep on with what we have been talking about for the last, how many weeks now, Sister Nancy? Five. Six. Five topics, but this is our week six, yes. <laughs> but we have been talking about, I need help, it's pop quiz time. We have been talking about what for the last five, six weeks? The power of the blood of Jesus, right? And we started our first week by saying, what do we have in the blood? What was the first blessing that we have? Forgiveness, Forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. Anybody help me with the scripture reference? It is in Hebrews chapter 9. Without the blood shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. That was week number one. Week number two, we talked about the second power of the blood of Jesus, and that is? Enter into the holy places. We have a winner. <laughs> and the scripture reference for that was Hebrews chapter? Nancy. 10, exactly. And the verse was, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then we spent two weeks talking about the blood of the covenant. We talked about how only through the blood of Jesus we can enter into that new covenant, that new relationship with God. We have many scripture for it. Just one, for example, in Luke, I think, 22 uh, not sure, 22, 24, something like that. Jesus said, this is my blood for the new covenant that was shed for the remission of sin. Amen? So that was two weeks. And then last time I preached, we talked about... The power of the covenant, or the blood of Jesus. Yes, correct. Specifically, we talked about being purchased by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And the scripture reference for that was Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, when the multitudes stand before Jesus and they're going to sing and say, Worthy are you, Lamb, because you were to open the scrolls, because you were slain and you have purchased us to God our Father through your blood. Amen? So we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Um, if you remember last time we talked, um, this last time, this time, the next few times, all these scriptures are loosely connected to the topic of being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, right? Uh, and we say that redemption means you go to an owner of a slave and you pay him ransom money so the slave can go free. What we talked about last time is that redemption means include many aspects. One, paying of a price. There is a purchasing process. Number two, there is freedom in it. And the whole topic called redemption. So we're, that's kind of like a bunch of scripture here that is loosely connected that says how we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We say that we are purchased by the blood that was last time I preached. Today, we're going to talk about something related to the paying of the price still. And that is we have been acquired by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So our scripture reference will be in Acts 20, 28. If um, you can open it in your Bible or I have it in my notes. So in that context, Paul is standing with the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he was about not to see them anymore. I think he was going off to Rome after that. So in his final encouragement speech to the elders, this is what he said in Acts 20, 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you over 
seers to take care of the church of God which he has acquired by the blood of his own. Amen? So the word here, acquired, is different than purchased. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. But this scripture says that we have been acquired by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So let's just address the elephant in the room in that verse first before we talk about how we are acquired by the blood of Jesus. And the elephant in the room in that verse is this. Does this verse tell us that Jesus is God or it doesn't? Okay, this is off topic, but it's related since we're talking about that verse. Paul said, take care of the church of God, which he has acquired by the blood of his own. So that tells us that this blood is the blood of Jesus. Paul calls it here the blood of God, right? So does this scripture tells us that Jesus is God? There is nine different verses in the New Testament that calls Jesus God in, in different varieties. They're all debatable. They all have arguments against them, okay? This is one of the tough ones. This verse is extremely hard to understand no matter how you look at it, okay? So, so many Greek scholars, so many theologians, even Trinitarians who believe in the deity of Christ, they don't deny it or anything. They just don't think that this verse in particular suggests that Jesus is God. And here is why they don't think that. They think because if we say that the word God here is a reference to Jesus, then we have a phrase that we never see anywhere else in the whole Bible called the blood of God. Okay? That's just an odd phrase. There is nothing like it in the whole Bible. never mentioned anywhere else that there's something as such as the blood of God. There's also always the blood of Jesus, but there is nothing like the blood of God. Amen? So a lot of good Trinitarian theological people who believe in the deity of Christ don't believe that this verse actually tell us that Jesus is God. And they say that this verse should be translated something like this. You know, take care of the church of God, which he has purchased of the blood of his own son, or the blood of his own one. So the word his own here will be a reference to Christ, and the blood here will be the blood of Jesus, which is very common theological term in the Bible. Does that make sense? So that's the, the issue with that verse. Now, let's debate that. Let's think about it for a minute. Again, this verse is hard no matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it. If we surrender to the fact that his own is a reference to God, then the blood of God, which Paul was making reference here to, is an odd theological phrase that doesn't exist anywhere else in the scripture. Okay? Now, if we assume that his own is a reference to Jesus, that this is, you know, his own son or his own one, well, we have another problem. Is that Jesus was never called anywhere in the scripture at all his own. His own is not a title for Christ. Paul mentioned Jesus to be God's own son. A couple of times. I just wrote it down here for you. Romans 8.3 and Romans 8.32. Uh, Romans 8.3, for example. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son. He didn't say send his own. He said send his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So a couple of times, Paul referenced Jesus as God's own son. But never in the scripture we see Jesus being called his own. You guys follow me so far? So theologically this verse is a tie. Anywhere you cut it is just difficult. Anywhere you look at it is just never mentioned anywhere else in the scripture. Does that make sense? But grammatically though, 
There's absolutely no reason for us to see this verse to say anything other than the blood of God, the church, which God has purchased with the blood of his own. There is no manuscripts at all that has the word son in it or own or anything like that. All the manuscripts have the exact same wording, pretty much, that the church of God, which he has purchased with the blood of his own. And grammatically, there is no other way to translate that from the Greek except this, the blood of the the church that God has purchased with the blood of his own. Okay? So theologically, it's a tie. Grammatically, it's not a tie. Grammatically, it has to be the blood of his own. Amen? So for that reason, we have to go with the fact that this is a reference for Jesus as God. The word God here is actually a reference to Jesus. Because theologically, it's, it's debatable. But grammatically, it has to be a reference to Jesus as God. Right? And think about it for a second. If, Jesus want, if, if Paul want to say that the blood of his own, that's Jesus, he could have simply said the blood of his own son. But he didn't say that. He, the Holy Spirit guided him to specifically say the blood of his own which reference to the blood of Jesus, i.e. Jesus here is God. Does that make sense? Clear like mud? Okay, move forward. Okay, so this scripture is a reference to Jesus as God, even though it's odd and it's debatable. Jehovah Witness, for example, feel freely to add the word son in their translation. So you go to their translation, it reads this, the church of God which he has acquired by the blood of his own son. They just gave themselves the liberty to add the word, which is not in the Greek, right? So, um... This scripture is a reference to Jesus as God, though it's odd and it's debatable. The weight of the evidence go that route. Amen? Now, let's put that aside. Yes? What do you mean by that? Because in law we speak of, you know, clear implication. And here, it's not contradictory. To care for the children of God, of law. Mm-hmm. Correct. So it's, it looks very, uh, by all interpretation, it looks very logical to say, as everywhere in the Bible is referred to Jesus, right? Then this is referring to Christ. Again, you're right. So uh, how, do the, how does the competition come that is this somehow trying to tell us that Jesus is God or not? Sure. What, why does it phrase that question? No, it is to take care for the church of God overall. Okay, see that you're adding the word son that doesn't exist in the original Greek. Again, I'm agreeing with you that it never exists anywhere in the script. It's always we hear about the blood of Jesus and never hear about the blood of God, which makes this verse very, very odd. So I totally get your argument here. The flip side of that is his own, again, the word son doesn't exist anywhere, so we have to supply the word, and I don't think we should, because we cannot add to God's word. We shouldn't add to God's word. We just take it face value. So theologically, it's very hard. Either way you look at it, it's very difficult to understand. But what I'm suggesting is this, that, that, that the weight of the grammar, if you go back to the Greek and look at all the manuscripts and how it's translated, the weight of all the evidence is this, Paul intentionally said, this church that you need to take care of, of, God has purchased, God has acquired by his own blood. That's what Paul was saying literally here in the Greek. God has acquired that church by his own, his own personal blood, not by the blood of his son. 
So that's why we're saying this scripture is actually a reference to Jesus as God, correct? Correct. So the way they write is they start with a big topic, go to details, and then make a conclusion. Correct. So in order to understand the whole material, you have to look through the whole cycle. Correct. Get into the form. I was thinking of that when I said, is there any benchmark? Sure, sure. It, this, again, this scripture is very odd. Doesn't matter how you look at it. Um, I just think the weight of the grammar, the weight of the Greek, the weight of the manuscripts, everything is pointing to Paul intentionally saying that. This church, God has acquired with his own personal blood, even though it's odd, and I, I give that. You know, I give you that. That's no question. Now, uh, we can talk more about that, Brother Emmanuel. Now, let's go, move forward to the word acquired, okay? Now, the word acquired is a little bit different than the word purchased. When we say the word purchased, we're talking about the actual financial transaction, okay? But the word acquired, the emphasis here more on the position, that God wanted not just to do financial transaction and purchase the church. He actually want to get hold, be the, the owner of the church. That's why he has acquired the church by the blood of his own. Okay? So the emphasis here more is on ownership, not on the financial transaction. Now, I was thinking about this. This is just amazing. In the news not too long ago, AT&T wanted to acquire T-Mobile. Correct, you guys? If you heard that in the news. Thank God it didn't work out. Anyways... What T-Mobile wanted to do, what AT&T wanted to do is this. AT&T said, I'm going to give T-Mobile shareholders $3.2 billion or whatever value they put in T-Mobile. And they said, we're going to give you that in stock and in cash, and we will take ownership of T-Mobile. T-Mobile from that point forward will be ours. We're going to acquire ownership of T-Mobile. Now, when a company tries to acquire another company, they have to do something. They have to offer a fair market value for the company they want to acquire, right? If they offer it too low, then the company that is in the process of being acquired is not going to sell. We're not going to go that cheap. But if they offer it too high, then the company that is acquiring is going to lose money. Does that make sense? So in that financial transaction, the price has to be right. It has to be the fair market value of whatever they're trying to acquire. It's truly worth about that much. Give or take, but that's the right price, okay? Now, when Paul said that God wanted to acquire the church, acquire you and me, do you, do you have any wildest idea what's in God's mind is a fair market value for you and me? Any idea from that verse? The blood of Jesus, his own personal blood. God looked at you and me and said, if I want to acquire them, I think the blood of my son Jesus is just about a fair price for them. And that cross and that pain and that torture that Jesus had been through, God was thinking, you know what? That's reasonable. I think I can pay that much for them. I don't know about you. This blows my mind away. Right? You and me are nothing with the dust of the earth. God just said a word and we came to existence. Yet when he wanted to acquire us, he paid all what he has. is the blood of his own son, his own personal blood on the cross so he can have ownership of us. Amen? Wayne, talking about how God loves us. I don't know of a superior love than this. Amen? So God has acquired us. God thinks that you and I worth the blood of Jesus. And that's why he acquired us by his own blood. 
And I started looking throughout the different scriptures in the Bible that says that we are God's own. And I found that the scripture pretty much tells us that we are uh, God's own in three different points, okay? Number one, the scripture teaches us that we are God's own inheritance. Number two, the scripture tells us that we are God's own treasure. And number three, the scripture tells us that we are his, God's own, and we, we are his and we are his alone. So we are his inheritance, his treasure, and his alone. When we look at the different scriptures that says that we are God's. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about right now. We are his inheritance. Let's say that out loud. Make sure you follow me, okay? We are his inheritance. We are his treasure. And we are his alone. So let's look at this. This, again, all the scripture that says that we are God's own. We are his own inheritance. God has acquired us by the blood of Jesus so we can be his own inheritance. Example, Deuteronomy 4, 19 to 20. I'm reading from the NIV. It's in your notes, okay? Here is what the Bible says. God is telling the children of Israel, look at this. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping them. Worshipping things, now look at this, worshipping things, the Lord your God has done what? Has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. God is saying, when you look at all these idols that other people are worship, are worshipping, that the, the Gentiles are worshipping, in a way, the Bible is saying God has apportioned these gods to these nations. God has divided, has um, Divide, has given these God to these nations so they can worship them. But look at the verse after that. But as for you, you're different, God says. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are today. God is telling the children of Israel, you are different. I chose you. I apportioned different gods to different nations. But when it came to you, I apportioned you to me. I decided that you're going to be my own inheritance as you are now. Amen? Now think about it for a second. If, if God Almighty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, want to pick up... A, Let's say it's you and me. We're going to go out and we want to pick up something. You're going to go buy a car. And you have any option. You can choose any car you want. You're probably not going to go buy a used, messed up 1942 car that breaks every single step of the way, right? You're going to go buy a nice, reliable, expensive, fancy car. Hey, if it's free, I'll take anything I want, right? You'll choose something nice, right? But when God wanted to choose an inheritance for himself, people that he can own and say, these are mine. Guess did, whom did he choose? He chose Israel. He chose Jacob. And they, where did he find them at? In the house of bondage, in the iron smelting furnace, working as slaves in the land of Egypt. And God looked at their misery and how low they are. And he said, guess what? This is my inheritance. That's the people I want. This is the people I'm going to pick to be my own for all eternity. I mean, God, look, the Egyptians had a great army and a mighty nation. And they're civilized and they're behaving well and they're great looking. Why don't you take them? God doesn't think like you and me. Amen? He chose the base, the bottom of everything. And he said, look at them with favor and say, this is my inheritance for all eternity. Amen? Now, 
When we look at the book of Numbers, the word inheritance, actually, the Bible is clear. You should not give your inheritance to uh, somebody who's not in your family, who's not blood-related to you. It's a commandment in the scripture, in the book of Numbers. So inheritance is beyond just possessing something for the sake of possessing. Inheritance, actually, you have to be blood-related to the person who formerly owned this, so you can actually have access to that inheritance. Amen? And in so many ways, when God says, you are my inheritance, God, in a, in a way, is saying, I have chosen to bond myself with you with a unique bond that not everybody is sharing with you. You're not just my position, you are my own inheritance. Amen? Amen? This is good news, friends. You and I are God's own inheritance. Another scripture that says that we are God's inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, 8 to 10. Look at this. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. When God wanted to divide inheritance for the people. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. When He divided all mankind. He set boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. Verse, verse 9. For the Lord positions is his own people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. Now, this translation doesn't do justice at all to what the Hebrew is actually trying to say. The, the beginning, the participle that verse 9 is starting with is very emphatic. It actually should be translated something like this. And lo, and behold, God has chosen you to be his inheritance. What the Bible is trying to say so far here is this. God is saying, I divided inheritance to every single nation in this world. But when it came to me, the Bible is saying this, when it came to God, when God wanted to choose his own people, his own inheritance, just like every other nation, God did the unthinkable. God did the unimaginable. God did the stuff that blows your mind away. God did the stuff that you can never even imagine in your wildest dream. He chose you and me to be his own, his own inheritance. Amen? Because we don't deserve it, but he did it because he cares about us and because he loves us so much. And lo, God did the unthinkable. He chose Jacob to be his inheritance. Amen? And he chose Israel to be his allotted inheritance. And then look at this inheritance that the Lord has decided to acquire for himself. And he didn't pay cheap friends. He paid his own blood on the cross to acquire that inheritance. Amen. Look how he looks like, that inheritance. In a desert land, he found him. That's God's inheritance. God found it in a desert land. In a barren and howling waste. God found his inheritance in the dump. And God looked at it and said, this is my inheritance. This is the one I want to own as my personal. And he just didn't say it. He actually went out and he acquired this very waste, this very dump that is worth nothing. God paid the blood of his own son, Jesus, on the cross so he can acquire that absolute waste to be his own eternal inheritance. Amen? I don't know about you guys. You need to get more excited than that. God has paid the blood of Jesus on the cross to buy a bunch of sinners like you and me. Wasted. We're just in the dump. Yet he paid the most expensive price so we can, we can be his for all eternity. Amen? Amen? And that's why Paul, look at this. That's why Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. We read that in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20. At the very bottom of the page. Look at what Paul said. He prayed for the Ephesians that the God... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Why, Paul? Why do we need this wisdom? What do we need to understand? He said, verse 
18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So there you, you can know three things. Here they are. Number one, what is the hope of his calling toward you? What is the hope he has called you to? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul was just praying, oh guys, I just wish that your eyes can be open so you can see these three things. You can see the hope of his calling, the greatness of his inheritance, and the exceeding power of his resurrection. Amen? Now, you can understand this verse any way you want. There's two ways of understanding it. But some say, oh, Paul is just praying here that we understand the depth of our inheritance that God has for us. I disagree with that. There's nothing in these verses here about you and me, about what we have or what we're going to have. Everything in these verses is about who he is and what he has, right? He said, I want you to see the hope of his calling. Not your calling, his calling, right? And he said, I want you to see the greatness of not your inheritance, but his inheritance. And then he said, I want you to see the exceeding greatness of his, of his power, not the power available to you, right? So what Paul was trying to say here is this. He said, I just wish that your eyes can ever be open so you can see this amazing, surpassing, matchless price that God has placed on a bunch of sinners like you and I who were dead in our trespasses, that he even decided to shed his own blood on the cross of Calvary so you and I can be his inheritance. This massive, rich inheritance that he paid beyond description so he can possess. Amen? We are God's inheritance. And how did he acquire us? Not with silver and gold, but he paid the, pro- the blood of his own son, Jesus, on the cross. So we can forever his. Amen? I tell you, I'm studying this and I'm like, God, you can never be loving me that much. It's just impossible that you would love me that much. But he does. He does. He does. He loves every single one of us that much. He picked you up from the dump and he paid the matchless price on the cross. So he can be forever his. Amen? We are God's own inheritance. We are his inheritance. But not only that, we are also his treasure. Amen? Let's read 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. Look what Peter said. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, his peculiar people, that you might proclaim the excellences, the greatness of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Peter was saying here is this, that God has acquired us to be his own peculiar, particular, his very specific own treasure. Now, why did Paul, or the, actually the Greek says just position, but the right translation should be peculiar position. Now, why is that? Why we are so peculiar to God? Why is we are so special to him? Actually, that's a quote. Here is why. A quote from Exodus 19, 5 to 6. God himself tells us why we are so special to him. Let's read that. Exodus 19, 5 to 6. Now, therefore, God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you will be my treasured position among all the people. And then he said, for all the earth is mine. 
So what God was saying here is this. I actually own everything anyway. Every nation in this world is mine because I made them. However, you, if you choose to obey me, if you choose to obey my commandment, you're not going to be just my own like every other nation in this world. You're going to be my own very special, in a very special way. You're going to be my peculiar, my very unique treasure, my very unique position. Amen? And how did he pay for you and I to be his own unique treasure? He acquired us how? By the blood of his own. It didn't come cheap, friends, but he paid it because he wanted us so bad. Amen? And Peter, actually, if we go back to that verse, tells us how bad we were, actually, before we met God. If you keep reading that last part that I skipped, verse 10. Once you were not a people. Peter was saying, you weren't even... Humans, you were not a people. Why? Because we were dead in our sins. We were not even a people. But when God has decided to acquire us by the blood of his own son, he did not just transform us from not being a people to being a people, but not just regular people. We have become his own people. And that's a big difference, friend, than just from being people. Amen? God has chosen the ones who are not even people. And he acquired them by the blood of his own son. And now this very own group of dead bodies that wasn't even people are now God's very own for all eternity. Amen? Take care of the church of God, Paul said. The church that he has, what did he do? Acquired it by the blood of his own. Jesus has acquired us to be his own treasure for all eternity. Amen? Another scripture reference, Titus 2.14. Look at this, Paul says, Who gave himself, that's the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people, what? Look at this, for his own possession who are jealous for good works. Amen? Jesus died on the cross. He gave himself so he can redeem us and not just redeem us, but he can also acquire us to be his own people. Amen? Now look at that parable that Jesus said in Matthew 13, 45. This is going to blow your mind away. This is how Jesus said that the kingdom of God looks like. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of precious pearl, fine pearls. Verse 46, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all he, that he had and he bought it. He purchased it. He acquired it. What Jesus was telling us this. He's saying, I am like this merchant that is going about right and left, north and south, everywhere looking for something of value. And then when I saw you, when I saw you people who are just in front of me right now, I thought, my gosh, they're so expensive. They're so precious. They're so valuable. So this merchant, Jesus said, who's just like me, he went and sold everything that he has. He didn't sell 90% of his assets. He sold how much? 100%. How much did he sell? All. All. Why? So he can acquire that pearl of great price. And friends, that's literally what Jesus has done on the cross. He was in the form of God. He was exactly God. But the one who is exactly God, the Bible says in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, he became nothing. And when he became nothing, he was even humbled himself even more. So he can go to the cross. And on the cross, he shed every drop of blood he has. 
He's literally had nothing after he died on the cross. Even his blood was shed. Water came out because he was drained. You know why? Because he wanted to acquire you and me so we can be his own position. And he thought that we actually worth that price. Do you think God loves you? Look at the cross. If you ever doubt the love of God, look at the blood that was shed for you on Calvary. God has acquired us to be his own inheritance. God has acquired us to be his treasure. And finally, God has acquired us to be his alone. Now, if you look at the scriptures that says that we are God's own, there's three different incidents where um, being God's own is connected to be a holy nation. And the word holy here, not just um, holy in our conduct uh, or how we behave. It's more like set apart, to be isolated, to be, I'm not sure who was telling me that story, but somebody was telling me that story. It's kind of like, um, let's say Katrina loves dark meat. So let's say yesterday we're eating dinner and she's not home yet. So we have a chicken. So I decide to feed the kids the white meat, and then I will set apart the dark meat when Katrina comes back, right? Because I know she likes it. When she comes back, she'll enjoy it. So that set apart, this is different. This is isolated from everything else because this has a unique purpose. This has a unique reason why I put it aside. And God was saying this, I have acquired you my own blood to set you aside from everybody else. You're not like the world. You shouldn't behave like the world. You shouldn't look like the world. You shouldn't be anything similar to the world because I have special purpose for you. I have a special reason to set you aside so you can be mine and mine alone for all eternity. Amen? So that's what God meant when he said you are a holy people. We are set apart for him, for his purposes and for his reasons. Three scriptures connect these two together. Now just read them out loud. Deuteronomy 7, 6. You are a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession. Do you see? We are set apart for him. We are his possession. Deuteronomy 14.2. Again, it's pretty much identical verse. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The people has chosen you to be a people for his treasured inheritance positions. Again, we're, we're his own. We're holy to him. We're his own position. Finally, Deuteronomy 26, 18 to 19. And the Lord has declared today that you are people for his treasured position. You are his own peculiar people. As he has promised you. And that you, with the fact that we became his alone, come some other stuff associated with it. Here it is. And that you are to keep all his commandments. And that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor. High above all nations that he has made. And then... Look at this. And that you shall be a people, what? Holy, set apart to the Lord your God as he promised. So multiple times we see here, God has acquired us, but with that, the process of acquiring us, he wants us to be set apart for only him. Amen? We are his alone. Think about this. Let's say you go to the car dealership and you want to buy a car. You like the car? It's $20,000, you give the guy a check for the $20,000, you sign all the paperwork, and then the guy tells you that he has to keep the key, the, the, the dealership owner, whatever. He's like, oh, I know you paid, but we have to keep the key. It's like, what do you mean? What is that supposed to mean? It's like, well, we act different here in this dealership. We'd like, um, like our customers to share this stuff with people. 
So uh, you leave the card here, okay? But then um, you can come anytime and if the card is available, you just can take it for your own errands. That's no problem. However, if the card is not available, somebody else has taken it, then that's no problem. Just try to figure out another time to get the car. What would you do? You won't like that much, huh? Why? Because you paid for it. And you paid not full price. If you paid 50%, you take it 50% of the time. I get that. But you pay full price, then you expect this car to be fully yours. Amen? It just makes perfect sense, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the Bible is saying here. That Jesus on the cross didn't pay half price for you and me. Didn't pay for 50% ownership for you and me. He paid full price. Actually, he paid above and beyond what we actually worth, right? He paid way more than we should be paid, sold for. But he paid that so we can be his and his what? Alone. He doesn't like to share with nobody. And think about it. Who would? He's not being mean or just being controlling because he's God. Nobody likes to be sharing their own things with other people, right? He has purchased us, acquired us by the blood of Jesus so we can be his alone. Are you his alone today? Correct. You keep all the commandments. You're 100% his. Everything about you is 100% his. You don't keep choosing. Pick and choose which one you keep and which one you don't. You have to obey every single one of them, including sharing the gospel and passing out tracts, just to say. Okay, so <laughs> um, we are his and his alone. Amen? I don't know about you. I was just studying this, and my heart and brain is just so blown with that amazing love of God. Amen? Let's just come before him and, and close in prayer. Yes, Lord.